I believe there's a hero in all of us. You have great powers, only some of which you have yet discovered. I'm a superhero, my A real-life superhero. The world needs extraordinary. We will make you a superhero. Are you ready to become a hero? Initiating surprise in three. This, two, is one. The Real Brian Show. You know, I had an awesome opportunity and privilege to go over to Harbinger Coffee to meet with the founder and the owner, Jonathan, so that we could, you know, nerd out about coffee. And we could also cup coffee. By the way, that's similar to wine tasting, for those of you who don't know. Jonathan is even going to debunk a few coffee myths. Let's rock it! Well, my goodness, I'm so excited. We, wow, we're going to be chatting coffee. You know, it's so funny that this whole time, you know, we've talked chocolate, we've talked tea, health, we've done a lot of nerding out here on The Real Brian Show. We've never talked coffee. Can you believe this? I mean, I've talked coffee, but I haven't actually done one of those coffee interviews until now. So, you know, the show is not complete without talking about coffee. And I got to tell you, we have some really great coffee in Northern Colorado, and a few of those shops and companies, they roast their own. And I'm particularly impressed. Uh, and I, I lean towards those kind of companies as well for those who roast their own since I roast my own coffee too. Because, you know, you just never know, right? You go to a coffee shop. It's so funny. I had a friend, by the way, ask me, hey, where do I find good coffee? Tired of Starbucks. I don't like it. You know, I'm tired of, of bad coffee. I want good coffee. Now, granted, Christian, by the way, hello. He's down in Texas, so he was asking me some questions. And, I, you know, I don't know that many uh, roasters down in Texas. I do know one in Amarillo, by the way. Maybe we should chat because I had some of their coffee and it was fantastic. Uh, but you're a little ways away from there. So it's interesting asking me about coffee. What do you do about this? How do you find good coffee? And I'll tell you what. I am not uh, what I would consider to be like a full-on coffee expert. Sure, I may know more than, you know, most people and that kind of thing. But there are some people out there that know coffee far more than I do. Sarah and I have this little game. We like to go to every single coffee shop in our town. Something new pops up, we'll be there. We'll check it out. We'll try it out. It's fun. Usually, I'll I'll order an espresso, a double espresso. Other times, I'll order just a a straight black coffee. To me, that's how I can go in and determine whether or not the coffee is good, fresh, and the roast and, you know, everything that I like. But on to Harbinger Coffee. This is one of the coffee shops that I frequent. Obviously, really enjoy their coffee. And uh, they are now roasting their own. They have a brand new roaster. And even prior to roasting their own, you know, they really vetted out the right roasters to use for their coffee. And uh, I believe they've mastered the art and the science of creating the perfect coffee or espresso. They also have some really cool, you know, concoctions and coffees that they'll do that are really special. You know, really, really neat kind of inventions. So I'm going on location to Harbinger Coffee. Now, they also have their website, which is harbingercoffee.com. The link will be in the show notes. You can purchase coffee from them off of their website, by the way. So, you know, if you don't live locally, you can go on there and check it out. Now, you're going to see that their coffee is a little more expensive than going to like Costco and getting coffee. And I hear this a lot. Well, you know, here's the deal. Let me just give you a little bit of a a comparison here. Harbinger coffee is like a finely aged cheese that's going to explode your taste buds. So much flavor, so much quality versus if you go to Costco, it's going to be more like getting Velveeta cheese. And yes, it is about that big of a difference. 
So when you look at their price and go, wow, I can get a five pound bag of you know coffee at Costco for five dollars. You're probably killing yourself. So anyway, harbingercoffee.com. Go check it out. Jonathan, welcome to The Real Brian Show. Thanks for joining me. Of course. I appreciate it. Uh, no, I'm excited about this. I'm curious how you got started in this whole thing from, from the very beginning. Like, where did the passion come from? And then, you know, leading up into even starting Harbinger. Well, as far as passion goes, it's like marriage at this point. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's tons of passion in the beginning. And then, uh, then you actually start to develop a, a much deeper love. And maybe there's a lot less passion later on, but the love is... Uh, it grows a lot stronger and you get to know what you do a lot better. Sure. Um, but I started, uh, I was a young person. I was a teenager, honestly, and did drink coffee. I would just kind of go to the library and hang out. There's a little um, coffee kiosk there called the Happy Latte. And this lady, Joanna, would make me awesome coffee. Yeah. And uh, I loved it. And she was a big, um, I don't know, part of just me loving going to the coffee shops. I got a job in construction. Um, I started working in construction and I made a good amount of money. I was not old enough to drink. And so I drank lots and lots of coffee. Uh, nice. I spent about 80 bucks a week in coffee. Awesome. Uh, but uh, I uh, decided that I wanted to try my hand at going to school. And so I had an opportunity to go out to Pennsylvania. I uh, had a place to stay out there. And so I went to community college out there. And while I was out there, I needed a job to kind of pay my bills, you know, my car payment, things like that. And so I got a job at Starbucks. I was like, I drink enough coffee. I'll give this a go. And I was blown away. I loved my job. I learned a ton about coffee. Um, I learned the basics. I learned how to serve customers and work in a crazy busy environment. I got to work on one of the last manual machines in the United States. So there's actually a four group La Marzocca Linea at the King of Prussia Mall that I actually pulled shots off of and had no idea what I was doing. But that said, um, it was a really cool experience, and I, I, I miss Colorado too much, so I came home, and then I basically just was like, I can't do construction anymore, so I stuck to coffee, ended up getting a job at uh, the Alley Cat here in town. Yeah. The aha moment was uh, a couple of guys from Novo Coffee out of Denver came up here and basically French-pressed a, a small amount of dry-processed Ethiopia, so crazy fruity, blueberries out the wazoo, Unbelievable! I was like, "This is impossible." I've been, you know, making coffee for you know at that point like a couple years. I'm like, "This is impossible." Coffee can't taste like this, <laughs> and it just boggled my mind. So I pushed really hard and got the uh, manager on board, and we convinced the owner to carry uh, Novo Coffee. So the Alley Cat oh, used to carry Novo Coffee. Interesting. Um, yeah. And actually, we were the, probably the first place in the state and probably most of the country to do exclusively pour overs. Yeah. And uh, this was, you know, this was 12 years ago, something like that. And nice. uh, and we loved it. And I got to you know make a bunch of coffee. I had no idea what I was doing as far as the pour overs go. Um, and you know later on, you know I would learn kind of what I was doing wrong and how to do it far far better. Uh, but then from there, I had an opportunity to go to Chicago. Um, I've got some family out there, so I went to Chicago. Got a job in coffee, sight unseen, before I went out there. It turned out to be an awesome job. Nice. It's called the Brothers K Coffee House, and uh, it was a local community place. The brothers were some of the best bosses I've ever worked for. Um, they trusted me to actually uh, run their cafe after only being there for about a year. And so I managed their cafe and we were super busy and uh, I made them, I think, a good amount of money. But I started realizing, you know, even with me kind of being paid more than most uh, as a cafe manager, I'd kind of capped out. 
And so I was like, well, what's next? What do I learn next? So I really wanted to roast. And so I tried to roast for Metropolis Coffee in Chicago. Uh, I tried to get a job roasting for them and I didn't get it. A little sad about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the owner, uh, Tony Dreyfus, said to me, he's like, listen, Jonathan, you don't have to work for a really cool company to learn how to roast coffee, which is what you're trying to do. You're trying to learn how to roast coffee. He's like, you could work for Hills Brothers and learn how to roast coffee. Um, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was totally right. It was something that, I don't know, maybe didn't want to hear at the time, but luckily I didn't have to work for Hills Brothers. Uh, the job at Ipsento kind of fell into my lap. I went over there just to apprentice and kind of learn the ropes of how roasting works. And their current roaster was kind of not doing a great job and wanted to get out of it. And so the job fell to me and I had to, you know, I had to learn the hard way. Luckily, you know, Tim, the boss, like kind of pushed me. I had some skills that were, you know, he didn't really cup very much when I first met him and I had been cupping a lot more. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, he knew how to roast and I didn't. So uh, we really complimented each other and eventually really kind of got on the same page. Like now if Tim says a coffee is an 89, I believe him that that yeah. coffee is an 89 because we've cupped enough times and scored coffees that, you know, I can trust him on that. Yeah. From there, that's where the seeds of Harbinger started. Um, you know, I love roasting uh, coffee there, but I was like, you know, if I'm really going to do this as a career, you know, making coffee, I need to either work for a really big company so I can get benefits and better pay or I need to work for myself. And so uh, I'm kind of a stubborn person. So yeah. <laughs> I decided to work for myself. Yeah. And I first thought I was going to open Harbinger in Chicago. But uh, the space we were looking at kind of fell through. I didn't even have the funding at the time. And you know, I was trying to get funding. You know, We were talking you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to move home to Fort Collins. There's so much more potential in Fort Collins uh, for this type of growth. It's already this awesome craft beer city. Um, you know, people love like quality local things. And so I'm going to go back and I'm going to start with the money that I had, which was not a lot. Built a little kiosk and uh, was in literally below ground level <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. in an atrium. But, uh, you know, we had you know, access up to a skylight. But, you know, we, we were below ground and I was that crazy guy in the basement with a really good coffee. I and that's, that. that's how we started. <laughs> that's awesome. And then from there... Uh, I was able to continue building our brand. It took me three years. I never really thought I'd be in the kiosk for three years, but I was. Worked really hard to secure the location at Mason and Mulberry, and we did. Shortly after I opened, that's kind of when the boom started. You know, we saw four or five, maybe even six new coffee shops open. Uh, four of them were, you know, much more quality oriented, like kind of higher, like cooler design, like nice equipment, all that stuff. And so we weren't the only ones anymore. Um, but at least we got to be some of, I wouldn't say the first, but some of the first of kind of this wave of higher end coffee in Fort Collins. And then uh, from there, you know, we did two and a half years and, uh, you know, about a year ago was when I kind of found out about this project and, you know, partnered up with Ben so that we could do it because uh, we really believe that this side of town is very underserved. Absolutely. And that's, uh, and roasting, you know, didn't make sense at our other location. Um, we don't have enough space for it. We'd have to buy a small roaster that we'd grow out of eventually, but that's all we could really afford in the beginning by moving this location um, and having space uh, to be able to have a roasting operation and to grow a wholesale business. We're, we're really excited. You know, I love the progress and the pro or the progression, I guess is a better word, but I, I love how you you know, went from that area. And I think it's always a good reminder too, because I think, you know, I hear this a lot with a lot of people with everything, whether it's business, podcasting, life in general, it's like, yeah. man, you know, why isn't it happening in three months? 
You know, and you said years, years where you were just working this out and it was just this time. And, you know, you're the overnight success that took 20 years, right? Uh, Something like that. I'm not quite that long, luckily, but I mean, but you know what I mean? But a lot of it is, you know, you have to have patience. You have to have a business plan. Obviously, you got to work hard, harder than I've ever wanted to work. That said, um, you know, this has always been my end goal. Glad to, you know have had the ability in Fort Collins that people have liked us and that we have a product that is excellent, is excellent service that matches that enough so that uh, we can continue to be in existence and then also to continue serving people here in Colorado. So, I appreciate it. It's awesome. Yeah. We do use cupping as a way to determine what our coffees ought to be like, uh, what they ought to taste like, the level of quality of the coffee that we may buy, but also what different roast levels are like next to each other. And so it's very simple grounds in a cup with water set together for a certain amount of time in general about four minutes uh, what's cool though is that uh, it's a an immersive experience and that's why i think it's really fun for consumers to try uh, because you get to see coffee side by side and you may think oh all coffee just tastes like coffee but the first time that you actually do a cupping and you actually see these things side by side most people are shocked by how much they can tell a difference between the coffees as long as they're not roasted super dark um, you can really tell some pretty major differences between coffees, even if it's just what your favorite is. But almost every amateur that I've ever, you know, novice cupper who's never cut before in their lives have come and cut with us and been like, wow, I'm actually, I can tell differences here. Talk about the dark roast thing too, because I think a lot of people are like, man, I just like dark roast. That's all I like is a dark roast. And that's, and that's totally fine. Um, yeah. That said, uh, there's a whole range of what good coffee can be uh, from the very beginnings of light to beginnings of dark, from super light to star to get a little dark once you start to get too dark it just tastes like roast and so the characteristics of the coffee that we like so type of plant soil climate all these things can tend to get lost it's not to say that dark roasts are bad per se but when you're dealing with higher end coffees in general i think that lighter roasts tend to give you more of what that coffee tastes like and for a while in the united states there's this giant trend within super specialty coffee shops to roast so totally unbelievably obscenely light that it just tastes like grass um, yeah. underdeveloped and it was not good um, that said it doesn't mean that light roasts are bad it means that there's there's a whole range it's about how you get there not what the end product is and uh, my friend Chris Schooley um, who taught me how to cup originally uh, once said something along the lines of uh, coffee roasting is a value added process if you didn't roast the coffee the co- green coffee as far as we know does not taste very good yeah and, and you so can't roasting really it get is, into it either exactly and that's uh, you know we're adding value to these coffees um, and turning them into the wonderful things that we want to taste in front of me I've got four coffees awesome. um, we did a blind um, so we've got it marked on the bottom what for all four of these coffees are um, I have uh, ground a specific amount specific weight of ground coffee into these and so we're gonna start by smelling Okay. And so you can give it a little shake. All right. Put your nose right in there and just smell. Nice. And nice. In general, I always okay. ask that people not talk about what they're smelling. Okay. I won't say <laughs> Until the end, uh, because the power of suggestion <laughs> yeah. is yeah. incredibly strong. Once we get to the end of actually tasting these, we'll have the opportunity to really discuss what we taste, which is really fun. Something else I wanted to mention too, you know, is that the roasts are different for the types of coffee as well to bring out those flavors? They can be. It's about the way that you approach the roast, more or less. Um, so, um, yeah, different coffee will take heat different, um, uh, differently. So depending on how high it's uh, grown um, in elevation, how dense the coffee is, how it's processed, all these things affect how we're going to approach the actual roast of that coffee. Uh, they don't necessarily need like a specific level of roast 
Uh, you, again, you have a whole range. So any coffee has a range of roasts from light to you know heavy medium where you can roast and make something super delicious. It doesn't have to be one special particular roast for each coffee. Um, it's a little bit more dynamic than that. Interesting. It seems like that the the further we've gone down the table, the lighter it smells. Interesting. I won't say much other than no, that. No, no, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. We call this part the fragrance. Mm-hmm. When we add water, we're going to smell that too, and that's called the aromatics. Okay. Uh, fragrance like is this. important because we get to smell how the dry grounds smell um, as just gases and va- basically carrying that smell into your nostrils. Uh, but then once we add water, it's uh, more vapors and we're actually extracting things. So it smells a little different once we add water. So it's cool to smell both the dry grounds and the wet grounds um, and to evaluate them that way. Uh, I'm going to run through and smell these real quick. I think it's funny because a lot of people will say, well, I don't, I don't know how to cup coffee or I don't even know what that looks like. And there are people, though, that they know wines. It's a similar process. It's incredibly similar. And what's cool is that uh, there's a lot of crossovers between wine, beer. Chris Gooley, the guy I mentioned, uh, no longer uh, works in the coffee industry. He has a craft malting business called Troubadour Malting. And he was over at Sweet Maria's, right? Um, uh, or did well, some stuff he was for with um, uh, Coffee Shrub in particular, yeah, but, okay. which is a division of Sweet Maria's. So yeah, uh, but Chris has been roasting coffee for a long time. Someone I respect a ton out of, and he always has all sorts of gems of cool things to say about coffee and about craft and uh, what that actually means to the people producing it, but then also to the end consumer. So I've just taken water from just off the boil, and I'm going to add a specific amount of water to keep um, the desired ratio that I want here of grounds to water. Um, And then what I'm going to do, uh, the reason that I'm doing boiling water, though, is we're here in Fort Collins, and uh, here in Fort Collins we're about 5,000 feet above sea level. That means our water boils around 202 degrees Fahrenheit. Basically makes it so it's impossible for your water to be too hot, very possible for it to not be hot enough. And so um, that's super important to un- understand kind of the dynamics of extraction. And that's kind of the beauty of cupping in general is that we're able to ensure that all these coffees are extracted as identically as possible side to side or side by side so that when we taste them, we're not tasting differences in extraction. We're tasting the actual differences in the coffees themselves. Um, and the reason that cupping works is we have grounds and water together in a small vessel. It cools relatively quickly. And so at the end of four minutes or so, uh, there's really no more extraction taking place and so we'll remove the crust of grounds that are floating on top and there will still be grounds in the bottom but they really aren't extracting anymore and they won't extract anymore until uh, unless we were to you know get in there and add a lot of turbulence like stirring it up pretty um, aggressively Uh, but at this point we've added water and so we can go through and actually smell these so you have that on i just want to make sure on a that's a scale that you're using that's correct so that's actually measuring the the The, the total volume of water um, that i've added here Um, using the gooseneck and the gooseneck kettle is totally not necessary for cupping okay it makes uh it makes things nice Uh, this is just what i have uh, for pour overs for control of adding your water okay Um, but when you're doing cuppings you just need uh, the right temperature of water you want to try and make sure that the amount of turbulence so if you did one where you splashed it a bunch when you were pouring water and another one where it's just like kind of was super slow and a drizzle you want to try and keep that as equivalent as possible and the gooseneck certainly helps with that but as far as cupping goes the dynamics of it are built in such a way that it's really hard to mess it up um, it's just grounds and water I love the the you know how, how precise it is though you know and, to well, really it should be precise a lot of people do not actually weigh their water when they cup and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing but 
but if I really want every single one of these coffees to be extracted in the same way, then I'm going to try and make sure that everything is exactly the same. So weighing the grounds, weighing the water, um, and ensuring that we basically create a situation for these coffees where they all extract the same. And then when we taste them, we can actually taste them side by side and get a better idea of what these coffees actually taste like. So I'm going to run through and smell these real quick before we do the break. Sounds and great. I'll explain what that is here in just a moment. I like to smell something neutral or not so neutral like my sleeve in between, uh, which allows me to just kind of reset my uh, nose a little bit. Don't they use coffee beans for the neutral uh, smell and, and in colognes and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah. Perfumes, yeah. Okay. So you'll notice probably already that these coffees are all substantially different uh, smell-wise than what we had in the dry fragrance. Uh-huh. Um, they're not entirely different uh you know it's not like we're smelling something in, in completely different but we're smelling a different dimension of these coffees which is what you know we're actually extracting stuff from the coffee now absolutely uh, which is kind of cool because i'm using these small glasses uh you'll notice that uh, my crust of grounds has uh, this is a light roasted coffee so most of the grounds have actually already fallen okay normally that crust of grounds is what we break through to basically be able to smell the coffees. But because these are very small vessels, I had to adjust my uh, recipe, if you will. Sure, sure, Um, So we don't have a lot left on top. But what we'll do is we'll still um, start the break here. And that's going to involve getting super low into the cup, pushing through what would uh, be the crust of grounds on top, and smelling. And you get, sometimes I think, a little bit more oomph from the coffee when you do the break, just because you're kind of agitating a little bit, you get a little bit more smell coming out. And so you're welcome to go ahead and do that as well. Oh, yeah, that's different. Awesome. And again, you're just nice. kind of forcing some of those uh, smells into your nose. And you yeah. can just dip that in this cup here. Okay, so we're just using hot water here to um, yep. clean it up. Love it. And then you can go ahead and do that second one there. Do it again, all right. And I'll good. just let you uh, go down the line. And then once we're done there, uh, we can actually get into tasting. We want to let it cool down a little bit so that we're not burning uh, our <laughs> yeah. taste buds off before we start trying to taste. <laughs> That's the thing. I love espresso, but I always have to put some cream in it because otherwise yeah. it's like, oh, and yeah. you're supposed to drink it quickly, you know? Well, uh, y- you can. Um, I mean, I say drink things how you like it. Um, if you want to put some cream in it or if you want to just wait for a little while, um, you can do that. It's a myth that espresso goes bad over the course of uh, really? a few minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, see, everybody has a, said that. A constantly perpetuated one. I mean, I, really? it, there's kind of a you know joke within the coffee industry. When, right? No, you have. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's, but there's a lot of tropes like that. Uh, that just have been prevalent and repeated by baristas, but then sometimes even bigger ones. Uh, so the myth of uh, coffee is the second uh, second highest traded commodity in the world, second to oil. That's total BS. Only more recently debunked, and it just cracks me up because you know I said it for years and years because it was in literature and lots of people repeated it, and oftentimes within the first couple of pages of any sort of coffee literature, which was unfortunate. I forget uh, Oliver Strand of the New York Times did an awesome article uh, basically debunking it and researching kind of how it got started. Um, and that was kind of, I wouldn't say mind-blowing, but uh, embarrassing is probably the better word for me because yeah. I had said it so long over the course of so many years. But it's good to know that there are things that you know aren't true. So for example, once you've uh, you know extracted an espresso, you'll notice that the crema will fall apart. Sure. And uh, a lot for a long time, people thought you know crema is the best part of the shot. It's the most delicious, tasty. What it is is oils and gases that have been put together under pressure, and they kind of uh, they don't form a true emulsion, but it's it's similar to that, and that's what crema is. And it will slowly break down because uh, those bubbles will combine in bigger p- bubbles and eventually pop. And uh, people thought if the crema was gone, the espresso was bad. And that's not entirely true at all. But again, there's these things that, you know, I remember, um, you know, 
people in coffee shops that I'd visit and they'd be like, I have an espresso dying at the bar. And, <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's, it's so ridiculous. That was like the old 90s barista, like late 90s, early thousands. But that was a little ridiculous, honestly. So what's the truth on that then? Because I'm trying to understand like, why does espresso, when you first drink it, it does taste very fresh. And then at some places it will get a little bit more bitter. Well, um, bitterness in particular is very hard to perceive when things are very hot. Sure. Um, ah. And so same thing with sweetness. Um, so like good things, uh, like really interesting flavors will become way more prevalent as something cools. Um, and so the way that your tongue perceives flavors at different temperatures is part of why that happens. But in particular, uh, defects in coffee come out pretty powerfully as it cools. Um, uh, I'm going to bring up Chris Cooley one more time, but sure, sure. whenever he sets up a cupping, um, he'll, he'll set up a cupping and uh, basically everyone will be in there cupping you know, really vigorously he's just wandering around taking pictures and then once it gets really cool it just comes through and rips through all the coffees <laughs> and then he has a really good idea of what's going on he doesn't even mess with the first part uh, which is kind of fun so if a shot is good if you've got good coffee good yeah. quality sourced coffee first of all it's yeah. roasted well yeah. it's extracted well then it shouldn't even get bitter at all, really. It should um, just stay well, bitterness consistent. Isn't, bitterness gets a bad rap. The way that I like to think about bitterness is uh, think about hops or grapefruit. Okay. Um, both bitter things, but deliciously but bitter acidic, things. Though, uh, like well, with the grapefruit. Well, with grapefruit, you have acidity, sweetness, and bitterness okay, all combined yeah, into good. one okay. package. Yeah. Um, and the acidity and the sweetness may basically make the bitterness a complex part of the flavor. Sure. Bitterness in and of itself is not bad, but it needs to be in balance with, in particular, with sweetness and acidity. Mm, um, and then the body of the coffee, the richness, the mouthfeel. And that's something that we're going to uh, evaluate here. So okay. uh, there's three things that I always tell people to look for when we cup, and that is uh, sweetness, body, and acidity. So those three, three things will be present to some degree in every single one of these coffees love it um so you know how sweet is it um how much body is it is it viscous like olive oil or is it uh soft and like almost watery some level of sweetness body and acidity and acidity you know people think ph and that's not entirely true these are organic acids that are present in the coffee that make things delicious but another going back to the citrus analogy um if you have citric acid which is what you'll find in an orange or a lemon the orange is going to have way less citric acid and a ton more sweetness. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, you can eat it by itself. Sure. Lemon has awesome flavor, but you don't want to eat a lemon or drink <laughs> lemon juice by itself yeah. because yeah. it doesn't have the sweetness. Unless you, say, make lemonade, add a lot of sugar, you make a delicious, refreshing beverage. That's a great way to think about acidity. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's a component, and just like bitterness. Uh, so caffeine is in and of itself bitter. There are other compounds that can create bittering compounds. Extra dark roasts will become bitter, like carbon, like, sure. you know, when you're starting to basically push that coffee past anything that's delicious into yeah. just burnt. Yeah. That will be bitter. But it doesn't have to be a bad thing as long as it's in check with sweetness, body, and acidity. The bitterness factor. Yeah. And people are always saying, you know, they'll say, hey, Starbucks is bitter. A lot of their, their roasts have been geared towards the dark side of things. And at one point in time, you know, dark was kind of the most sought after type of roast. I mean, and to be totally honest, when you're trying to bring in, uh, and dark does not necessarily have to be bad, again, but there is a, such a thing as too dark and uneven roasting that will cause some parts of the coffee to be really dark and bitter and then other parts not to be fully developed like those other parts are. That's, uh, that's a roasting issue and there's a whole bunch that goes into that. Um, but in general, people have kind of thought that dark roasts are the best roasts. And I think a lot of that had to do with there wasn't a lot of really high quality coffees that were being sourced by these style of companies, these big companies like Starbucks, Pete's, uh, so on and so forth. But Pete's honestly, you know, Pete's has always been 
pretty solid. As far as a big chain goes, Pete's delivers really well. But, you know, still, definitely, they were Alfred Pete. Well, he was the pioneer of bringing Dark Roast back to America, uh, which is fascinating because, and the reason Dark Roast kind of came back into prevalence, came into prevalence at all, was because... Uh, the big companies that Maxwell House, Folgers, so on and so forth, you know, these companies got bigger and bigger and they found out that if they roasted their coffees lighter, they would basically lose less uh, moisture loss or they would have less moisture loss. So the lighter you roasted your coffee, the more product you had to sell. Absolutely. And uh, because as you continue to roast the coffee, you get more and more weight loss. And so they basically uh, were roasting relatively light coffees, commodity-grade coffees, not very high quality, and they just tasted terrible. Um, and so when Alfred P. came along, he brings with him the European darker style of roasting, and he starts bringing you know nice coffees, roasting them well, and people are like, oh my God, this is awesome. And that was kind of the beginning of um, you know this you know what we call the second wave of coffee. Uh, I've heard this, so again, let's yeah. let, let's know if this is a myth or not. But when you roast a lower quality coffee, darker, does it sort of mask over the imperfections of the quality? Uh, correct. So you taste more roast and less of the maybe undesirable characteristics of that coffee. Um, and so yes, um, that is definitely um, you know part of why coffees have been roasted a little bit darker too is just because on their own maybe they don't taste that awesome uh, but when you have lighter uh, I'm sorry when you have higher quality coffees you kind of do want to taste some of what the coffee has to offer and not just what the roast adds to that absolutely so, yeah. absolutely yeah it's funny you know when I when I roasted and, and this was back when I was starting the roasting yeah. at home and I was just having some fun with it uh, and I remember people coming over you know we had, we had people come over all the time and they're like yeah, I, I don't drink coffee I don't like coffee yeah. and I said try this and see what you think yeah. and they went oh well, this is totally different than I've ever tasted exactly. before because you've got a high quality bean and yeah you start we start with a high quality raw coffee and I mean even if you roasted it a little bit darker it's probably going to be better than a mass majority of coffee and so like I'm not in the business of competing with Starbucks and Pete's and those companies really what you know we want to do um, yes sure we do have some level of competition with them but uh, we want to bring higher quality coffees to a larger populace um, that maybe have been so used to gas station unfortunately like hospital (laughs) coffee like you know just these things that are absolutely atrocious you know Starbucks has their model it's worked incredibly well for them but I think the way that this side of the business has kind of been establishing itself and continues to do so is by trying to be everything that we can be as far as an experience goes so we want to have the experience of experience, high quality yeah. um, coffees we want the craft of how those coffees are produced we want to uh, obviously bring in high quality coffees roast them well brew them well but then deliver it with a high quality service as well Absolutely. and we have an opportunity and have had an opportunity to compete against the big companies um, and you know even Starbucks you know they've taken note you know they opened up their Starbucks uh, reserve roastery in Seattle it's oh, like yeah, a, yeah. a Willy Wonka wonderland um, and it's <laughs> yeah. it's crazy cool and they have people who work for them who are really good coffee people um, who really know their stuff. It's not to say that they can't do what we do. As a matter of fact, they definitely can. But can they do it and expect the same margins and growth? Are they going to be able to provide the training to their entire staffs? And so now they're doing these uh, special concepts so that those concepts can be staffed by super knowledgeable people. They're doing this giant one in downtown Chicago. Mm. Uh, they just announced this past year. And uh, they want to do it in big cities across the country. And it's fascinating to kind of watch the effect that our side of the industry has had on big companies like Starbucks. And uh, you know, the question is, how do we continue to keep up? And I think that we can do it better in a lot of ways because we're vested in the communities where we operate. Uh, we are a part of these communities. We know them. Um, we 
can hire good, talented people. We can train people to, um, you know, know coffee and to talk about it, and to also have a level of service that's not just about speed, but it's about you know the craft of the coffee itself, the experience that you get while getting that coffee, and to really just be, you know, the fine dining to you know the chilies, um, yeah, if you yeah, will. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not to say that we have to follow the exact same model as fine dining, you know coffee people go back and forth talking about oh we should be like craft beer we should be like wine and sommeliers we should be like fine dining i don't think any one of those is one like perfect answer i think it has to do with balance you know you need to find a way to um you know understand what your industry is and how you can actually make uh, a consistently great product for your consumer and have them continually come back for it and have it be part of the culture you know when i started Five and a half years ago here in Fort Collins, you know, the the culture that we have of craft coffee did not exist then. Yeah, there were certainly places true. doing like higher end coffee, but the culture and the people look seeking it out and desiring it was not at the level that it is here. And it was surprising to me coming from Chicago, where you know it was way more developed. You know, people went out of their way to find really high end coffees and it was always trying the next hottest newest thing. Yeah, but here it was a little slower of a start, but. You know, we're catching up quickly. And I think with the internet and people having access to better understandings of what coffee can be and having it in bigger cities um, has allowed Fort Collins to uh, kind of come into its own and really kind of seek out these types of experiences a little bit more. We're going to start by grabbing a small spoon. We have a spit cup. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through these four coffees that we have on the table and we're going to grab a small sample of coffee and we're going to slurp it. Um, slurping it sprays it across your palate. We're going to just kind of chew on it, move it around in our mouth, and then uh, we're going to spit it out. The reason we spit is because of the retronasal effect. Um, so basically it just means that if you swallow something and then you're trying to taste something else, you're still smelling what you just swallowed through the back of your nasal passage. I was just going to ask that yeah. because I've seen people who cup and swallow. Um, and it's not to say that that's going to be the worst. It's just easier this way uh, to really kind of uh, pay attention to the coffees and also doesn't get you super messed up on caffeine if you're cupping <laughs> tons of coffee. Um, that's the fun Always part. good, right? Yeah. Slurp and then uh, move around our mouth and then spit it out and then go down the line and uh, taste um, all these coffees. Uh, once you get down the line, go do it again. Uh, once you get a couple that you're really interested in, taste back and forth, hop back and forth between those two. Get to know these coffees and then once we're done, we can talk about what we're tasting and... Um, It'll be kind of cool. I love it. Well, we can, uh, you know, have the sound effects going on if you want to. So have some fun with this. But go ahead. This is the first one. And a smaller amount on your spoon will always help. Um, yeah, I did that wrong. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, now I got to clean up the table. That's fine. Yeah. I like the uh, second one quite a bit. I like them all. I mean, so far I like both, but... We have an awesome diversity of coffees on this table right now. I know what four coffees these are. I don't know which order they're in. Um, I already have a pretty good idea of what's what. Um, that said, you have to be careful. Like It's fun to guess, to blind guess, but it's actually more fun when you're wrong, uh, when you're blind cupping and you make a mistake because you get to learn something about yourself, like your presuppositions about what certain coffees are supposed to taste like. The more you taste, though, like I'm pretty darn good at tasting coffees these days. You know, it's been 13 years of me tasting coffees, but this is my third time right? ever. <laughs> well, but what's wild is that I am by no means talented at tasting coffees. It is not an inherent talent. I don't have a better taste, uh, you know, set of taste buds than anyone else. What I have is 
a lot of practice and experience. And the more you taste, the more you build up that mental library of flavors and you can basically refer to that. I know people who have been cupping for 25 years. For example, uh, the uh, head buyer for Allegro Coffee, Christy, she's, you know, God level. She's been tasting and sourcing coffees and making million dollar buying decisions for twice as long as I've been in coffee uh, or, you know, thereabouts. And she is awesome at her job and she knows what she's doing. And those people just have that mental library built up uh, for such a long time that they, you know, again, I revere, I just listen. I don't, uh, I don't try and pretend like I'm all that and tasting all these special things. I taste and I do the best I can, but I listen to what they say because I'm listening to someone who really knows coffee front to back. And, uh, you know, a lot of hip, especially roasters these days like to, you know, come across like they know a lot and they do, and they're super passionate about it, but it's super important not to forget, you know, the people who've been doing this for a really long time and have, uh, yes, they may work for a big company that you think is, doesn't have as cool of product as what you have. And maybe they don't, but the people who are behind the scenes there are super experienced. And I think that we would do well to uh, pay attention to what they have to say and learn from them. I have to say, I think I like uh, two and four the best. Two and four the best. That's awesome. me though. I mean, like, no, I like them all. That's the thing. Yeah. No, these are all great coffees. Um, two and four are outstanding coffees. Is that, um, is that an Ethiopian? We have an Ethiopia, a Kenya, a Guatemala and a Colombia. So this is either Ethiopia or Kenya. Nice. I'm going to say, and that one is, the other and I'm going to say well okay let me figure this out I don't know if that's true though can I look <laughs> I think I get to guess other. first you get to guess first All right. uh, well I, we'll both guess and then we're going to find out and I don't know I want to say Ethiopia and Kenya okay that's my guess but then okay. we can start with those two um, I'm going to say we got uh, Ethiopia right here Kenya right here so you are right at, at, as Ethiopia or Kenya um, I think uh, so we'll find out for a second or here in a second this here would be our Guatemala. So you'll notice this is the biggest bodied of the bunch. And so uh, we get kind of uh, that more malty, chocolatey kind of characteristic from this particular coffee. Not as much acidity, but still some acidity. It's really uh, nice and kind of orange-like. I'll definitely agree on that Guatemala. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we move down to this last one here. This one has an awesome acidity. Um, that said, um, I don't believe that it is an African acidity. You think this is the uh, Caribbean? We get this awesome white grape-like acidity. Yeah, that is um, a little bit. Uh, between this and the first one, you know, I could I could have flip-flopped them. That said, I'm going to go with my gut here. You're going to say this is Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, this, is, okay. this is tough for me. And I think you made me second-guess myself enough that uh, I'm not going to go with my gut. <laughs> I don't know now. <laughs> I'm Almost 100% on Kenya here. You are, okay. Um, and then Guatemala. And they're both um, African, though, so that's uh, where you, know, correct, you get correct. similar flavors. But I do I do think you were right. Um, I think that this last one is Ethiopia. Okay. Part of it is, too, um, you know, I'll make almost all of my decisions based off the dry fragrance. Yeah. And I only sniff them, like, you know, once a bob. Yeah. And so that's uh, where you have to be really careful. Um, that said, uh, this Kenya comes across as, like, super juicy black currant out the wazoo, a yeah. blitzing acidity. This first one, which... Uh, now I'm thinking is Colombia has a really awesome acidity, but it also has like a nice depth, a little bit uh, more of like a medium body. Um, and then this here, this Guatemala, uh, probably the lowest acidity of the bunch, biggest body, um, nice roundness, uh, good sweetness. All of these have great sweetness. Um, and then down here, uh, we get that kind of dry tea-like finish, a uh, little bit of florality on the nose. And that's why I'm thinking that that's probably our Ethiopia. And so when I say dry tea-like finish, it's like this pleasant, soft astringency that coats your mouth. Absolutely. Um, okay, so let's, let's see. Let's figure it out. So first one is Colombia. Yes. Right, Colombian. Two, we have Kenya. All right, good job. Awesome. And then, and then three, 
it better be Guatemala. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that wasn't, all right. Four is definitely E for Ethiopia. So all right. awesome. Um, but that is a cupping. And again, you could tell some pretty strong differences between those coffees, right? And you know, you've cut this is like third time cupping, but you were very easily able to pick out the African. And yes, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't the exact African you thought. But that said, you're right. You know, African coffees tend to have uh, you know either heirloom varieties out of Ethiopia or SL28 and SL34, which are the varieties of plant that they grow in Kenya. That that give that uh, SL28 in particular gives that super juicy black currant type thing. SL34 kind of softens that out a little bit. Sometimes you can get some nightshade like things. So like the outside, you know, tomato leaves. And when that's too prevalent, it's it's honestly not that great. Um, this one is is nice and the fact that that is super balanced it's uh, maybe a layer in the totality of this coffee but it is not uh, super prominent which is nice Uh, if you underdevelop a Kenya Kenya's coffees are generally pretty dense then that kind of green nightshady type flavor comes out pretty strongly or tastes like kind of sour underripe tomatoes and that is really unpleasant to be totally honest on so that's why developing your coffees properly is so important awesome this cool. is fun I, I appreciate this yeah now are you going to be sourcing from some of the same places that sweet maria's gets from and and then coffee shrub and all those or are you going to be I'll going to be some- sourcing through places like coffee shrub um and then also red fox uh which is a uh, the former head buyer for Stumptown coffee aleko oh, chingonis nice. yeah yeah um, who also used to work for shrub um so he has his own importing companies doing some really cool things uh shrub is a great resource for small roasters who want to bring in high quality batches and small quantities. Um, that said, um, you know there's some bigger importers, Cafe Imports, uh, Ally Coffee. Uh, we plan on working with them. And then my brother-in-law Tim, um, I used to work for him in Chicago, and he owns uh, Ipsento Coffee. Um, and I was his head roaster for a couple of years. Got to learn a ton about coffee and roasting and. Uh, he and I actually are making plans as time goes on to uh, kind of combine our resources and nice. uh, source uh, specific lots that we're really excited about together. Good. And so, um, you know, by myself, I certainly probably couldn't get in on some of these auctions, uh, but we want to work with Tim and uh, kind of bring our collective buying power to the fore so that we can kind of get some more unique, interesting things. He's got some great connections um, and uh, we know each other. And so it's kind of in the family to some degree. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Are you going to be going out to the different farms and visiting at some um, point? You can. Uh, a lot of times people think that, you know, that's what, you know, direct trade and coffee buying is all about. To be honest, it's not that glamorous. Um, and honestly, that's super expensive. And you can't go to every farm that you buy coffee from. If you are a big large company that sources uh, their own coffees uh, from certain places you can do that and it's it's awesome you get to you know go to these farms and be in a different country and uh, do these things when people call it going to origin it irks me <laughs> never uh, even heard that before <laughs> uh, well and this is this is why it irks me because yeah. you went to guatemala it's a country, a sovereign nation with people who work there and live there who have been producing coffee for generations. They are not some poor people to use for marketing porn who need your help. They, sure, maybe live in a less developed economy than we do here in the United States, but these people have been farming coffee for generations. They are good at what they do. Um, they uh, will go through, you know, fluctuations in uh, you know weather and seasons and uh, you know diseases and the, like the coffee leaf rust which has you know been terribly bad in the last few years um, down in parts of Central America but at the same time this is uh, when we kind of 
idolize going to an origin country. I think that that's kind of foolish. You know, you're going to a place with a rich history and culture and people who are just as smart as you, maybe not as well educated, but who also know things that you don't know. And I think that it's uh, super important to remember that. But also, um, you know, a lot of times when, you know, you're a big company, again, you can go out and you can go to a farm and, uh, you know, do a direct trade relationship. And that's really cool. That said, it is not really the only way that we source coffee. Absolutely. And I appreciate that you're doing something that's higher quality. Uh, again, I like this location. There's there's great space. There's good environment here, you know, atmosphere. I think being consistent and focusing on the core of what you do and being involved in your community, your neighborhood, while, you know, innovating, doing new things, folding in trends uh, at times, but don't be driven entirely by trends. Knowing your identity, knowing who you are is what sets you apart. And I exactly. think that's, you're right, chasing trends is... Is not and I think I see that. And a don't lot. get me wrong, you know, we've got this beautiful kind of uh, you know modern space, and we our goal was to have something that's going to last, and uh, we wanted you to walk into you know the second location and see, oh, this is obviously a harbinger. So there's things that are set up almost identically, just they're not mirror images. It's more of a uh, an echo of the other location, and that's what we wanted to do design wise here. We still want to have a beautiful space, but we want each location to be kind of specific to its uh, part of town, its neighborhood. We've got more space here so we can do more things which is kind of cool i think that the way that we spent our money and the way that we've gone about it um, allows us to have a space that's still beautiful that's functional um, that represents our brand well and that will allow us to continue to grow in the future jonathan thank you so much man i appreciate you thank you taking you. the time to let me see the cupping and be a part of it of course telling your story this has been awesome i really awesome. appreciate it thank you man well i hope you enjoyed that episode i hope you got a lot out of it there's so much there so many great nuggets uh, especially if you are a coffee drinker Really cool stuff there. A lot of good information. Hopefully some coffee myths were debunked as well. And if you don't drink coffee, then hopefully you just had some fun and really enjoyed just some cool nuggets of stuff that you might never thought about it. You might, you know what? If you're a wine drinker, you might've gotten some really cool things from this. Go check out Harbinger. Either way though, give them some love. If you live in Northern Colorado, it's worth going. They've got two locations, one North Fort Collins, one South Fort Collins. Now, if you don't live anywhere near here or even in Colorado at all, then just go to HarbingerCoffee.com. Check out their website. And uh, one way or the other, they'll hope you had a great time. All right, Night Fox and I are going to be back rocking it up this Friday as always. And then we're going to have one more interview-specific episode next Monday. It's going to be awesome, by the way, before we start rolling all of this together. Yeah, a little more on that here soon. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, but thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for joining Jonathan at HarbingerCoffee.com. Go to realbryanshow.com for show notes, links, everything. Have a wonderful day. Real Brian Show signing off. The Real Brian Show is a production of 514 Media at 514mediaempire.com.